I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit AbyssBattery.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snow White. I'm back from catching steelhead on the Salmon River of New York, and I'm ready to take you now to California. But first, we're going to introduce our listener of the week. It's Andres. He's in fifth grade in Maryland, and he's more excited to catch a fish on the fly than you. This is the Guy Jeans podcast on the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. Guy Jeans owns and operates the Kern River Fly Shop in California. We'll call this the Appetizer Sampler Podcast with Guy. There's so much to cover with Guy, from his life as a professional guide, small business owner as a fly shop owner, a certified casting instructor, and fly designer. And then there's his entire previous life as a traveling professional musician. With just a limited amount of time, I'm trying to keep this within an hour and a half time frame, we're only able to discuss so many things, but we are going to discuss that trout eat leaves. And this is the second podcast in the last month or so where an expert has told us that you need to tie flies that look like leaves. We're gonna discuss how California stock brown trout over goldens and the detrimental effects of that. If you wanna catch lower elevation browns in California, you might wanna throw a game changer that looks like a golden trout. We're also gonna discuss a variety of species available that guy can fish and guide for within a very short distance of home. And now we're going to travel to the Sierra Mountains where we as a podcast haven't really gone before and haven't really discussed golden trout. So this is our first foray into that. And our friends at Turtle Box, you know, the portable waterproof impact resistant, perfect speaker for your life's adventures. 
They're now offering you 10% off if you use the promo code Snow White. And you can get a turtle box that is bright white and snow white, just like me. This device is amazing. It will revolutionize how, when, and where you listen to music. I should have brought mine to float the Salmon River this past Monday, but I just didn't have room on my boat. This is the Guy Jeans Podcast. Producer Jason, take it away. We've got Guy Jeans with us. It's not a French name, so you're not Guijon. Uh, actually, uh, some some folks uh, call me that, uh, Guijon, but no, I'm not French. Okay. <laughs> some of my friends call me Guy. Hey, Guy. Not, not yeah. geek, but Guy. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know nothing about people questioning last names. Um, it's never happened to me before. <laughs> Every single day, actually. Um, so wait, if we're going to throw a map at California right now, you're, you're on the opposite side of the country from me. Where are yeah. you right now? I am in Kernville, California, which is in the southernmost part of the Sierra Mountain Range. So we're about two hours, two, two to three hours north of Los Angeles and an hour east of Bakersfield. So I only know and, about Bakersfield from the Schwarzenegger movie with the Bakersfield Massacre, uh-huh. Running Man. Other than that, I don't know much. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we have, a, we have a river running through here called Kern River. Um, it's about 175 miles long. It's home to three native species, um, which we're famous for is the golden trout. Yeah. And, and then we also have the Kern River rainbow, which is in the main stem of the Kern. And then we also have another native trout called the little Kern golden trout. So people come from all over the world to catch those three, um, especially the golden trout, you know, is there they're pretty sought after and considered one of the most beautiful trout in the world by many. Right. Before we go further, who's the celebrity you most resemble? The people listening over in, uh, I don't know, let's say Norway today could, could picture uh, you. What is that football player? Um, dude, I'm, I, I'm forgetting his name, but a lot of people say I look like this football player. He's a quarterback. Green Bay uh, Packers guy. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. Yes. Yeah. All right. You got him without all the weird baggage. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So kind of similar to that, um, except I've got a gray beard. Yeah. Working on that too. <laughs> yeah. Everything's turning gray. And you're native to the area? You're native Californian? I am native Californian. Grew up in Ventura, California, surfer kid, and then kind of uh, moved up to the Kernville area about uh, 20 years ago. Okay. And started my fly shop and the guide service up here. And uh, there was nothing to that going on. How do you balance being a musician and an angler? Things seem to be like two all-encompassing lifestyles. I don't know how people can do more than one thing. Maybe it's just me. I'm not playing as much anymore. I played in a a ska band called the Stoneflies, horn section. And um, there's like eight guys in the band. But we're all getting older now, so we don't play as much, you know. So, you know, for us to do a show, it's usually like, you know, a 7 p.m. to 9 now instead of like, you know, like, playing all the, like, you know, 2 in the morning or whatever. We're not doing those shows or we're not touring anymore. We're just doing fun beer fests and right. stuff like that, you know. Was and it like know. you had the choice of going on the road and being a musician or putting roots down and opening up a fly shop? Was it? Did you have those two kind of options at one time? 
I did, you know, I, I, for the longest time, uh, for 15 years, that's what I was doing. I was touring musician with my band and we were actually uh, pulling it off, making a living, you know, scraping by, but having fun. And then I got kind of jaded with the music business and I started, I started the fly shop and it was, I had about a 10 year time where I didn't play music. I was kind of burnt out and stuff. And then what was really interesting is um, our, our bass player got us all back together again. And him and his, him and his wife, actually his wife had, was kind of a sad story. She had stage four breast cancer. So she wanted to do a big benefit concert to, for, for breast cancer. And so she got us all back together and um, that kind of, kind of got us all back together playing again and stuff. And we've done a couple albums since, so it's been, it's been good, you know, then I still enjoy it. You know, I just, I, it's not for the money or anything like that. I like writing songs and just having fun and playing music and seeing if people like the music, you know, and they don't, well, just keep keep writing and having fun. Right on. That's very cool. Yeah. I am in the slow process of learning guitar. Oh, yeah? Very slow. Yeah. yeah. I can play me and my uncle. That's about it. <laughs> right on. I'm working on it. Apparently, I need to switch to nylon strings from metal. Oh, okay. That's yeah. what my, my private guitar instructor has informed uh, me. Uh-huh. Yeah, maybe less time at device, more time on guitar. I might be a little bit better. <laughs> rest a little bit yeah so which came first music or fishing in your life were you a fishy kid in the neighborhood like i was yeah i would say i was uh fishing quite a bit um before uh i, I don't know man it might have been around the same time you know i started playing music when i was eight and i started um fishing kind of around that time i would say as well um uh, not fly fishing just uh going out there and bait dunking you know and my my uh my dad would my dad took me fishing for the first time but then he would he would uh just drop me in my my friends off at at the lake and say all right see you guys later and we would just fish we didn't really know what we were doing but every once in a while I'll catch a fish you know and and that's times of your life yeah just fishing I mean, with no worries yeah just i mean what's that like huh yeah <laughs> yeah and then the music thing started um, when I was eight, I started playing music again. I mean, I, I, I started taking lessons and stuff at, at, at eight. One of the things that was really cool when I was eight, my my mom was like, my dad, my uh, a musician, my biological dad was a jazz musician. And um, I didn't know him or anything. My, I was raised by another guy who I call dad, but my biological dad was a jazz piano player. And so, I don't know, it just came through with me. I started playing piano and my mom said, hey, you want to take some lessons? And she got got me uh, started with a um, piano teacher who was hot. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so this story is pretty funny. So like she, she was really responsible for me to get my lessons uh, done and everything. And I wanted to make my lessons perfect for her. She, you know, she was like, I think she was probably like 16, 17, something like that. And I was like eight years old and she was totally cute lady. And, and uh, so I wanted to make sure my lessons were good, but she was real responsible for me getting uh, into writing music and learning how to write music and stuff like that. And what was really cool later on in life, I was performing in Santa Barbara, California, and uh, she showed up and 
um, I got to tell her, you know, the reason why I'm up on that stage and big part of that is because of, of you and, and how you uh, encouraged me to write songs and stuff like that. And she was still totally cute, you know. <laughs> I was going to ask if you had to rekindle that. Yeah. So um, it was a lot of fun uh, being able to do that, you know, and tell her that years later. It was really cool when I was in my 20s performing and stuff. So first fly rod outfit you got and do you still have it? I don't have it. Um, in fact, my dad's, one of my dad's best friends gave me my first fly rod. And I, I think I was probably around that age, you know, eight, nine, something like that. And I started messing around with it. Um, I think it was an old Shakespeare with a metalist reel, you know, which, you know, a lot of us got when we were younger those little those thrasher rods and um but yeah i think it finally fell apart from me fishing it so much <laughs> good thing yeah what about you what was your first it's a Cortland five six rod it was my brother's and it was in the basement so i was like all right i'm gonna put it together and walk out the door just yeah. like we were talking earlier walking out the door at the old fly shop the doors would close on and break them my yeah, brother yeah. said you got yourself a new rod congrats uh -huh. and i sent Corlin like $20 in the mail and they sent me a new rod tip. Nice. It's still down there. Still has the original reel on it and everything. Down locking reel seat. It's one of my only ones. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I see a lot of those come into the fly shop. You know, people will come in and, you know, bring these old rods that, and they'll be like, how much is this worth? You know, I don't know if you guys ever got that, but yeah, it was um, like old bamboo rods, you know, they'll, They'll come in and bring, how much is this worth? And I have no clue. I was go to go to the internet. You'll be able to find out. But um, that's one of the things being a fly shop owner is you get those kind of questions. People coming in and asking, bringing old stuff they found in a garage sale, you know. Anything that's been really worth something like you would see on Antiques Roadshow? You know, I don't know enough about those old bamboo rods to be like, oh, that thing's worth, you know, five grand. I used to. I used to just send it to some of my buddies. Like here's a, here's a number of one of my buddies who's really into bamboo. He could tell you, you know, what's going on with that. Right. What about fly tying? Did you get into that pretty heavily in your youth? Um, no, I didn't, I didn't start fly tying until later on. Um, there's a fly fishing club in Ventura where I grew up um, called the Sespe fly fishers there's some old timers in there. One of one, one of them's a pretty famous fly tire named Bill Blackstone. And he does uh, realistic fly tying, you know, this, his flies look like they'll crawl off the table. But I learned from him. I learned how to tie flies from him and another guy named Ray Johnson. They were just old dudes in the in the club. They took me under their wing and 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 showed me some things and how to build rods. And back then that was those fly fishing clubs were pretty essential to uh, a lot of the kids you know uh in our area for sure Just i still go to my trout unlimited meetings yeah and i'm still the youngest guy <laughs> from when i was in high school i'm still the youngest dude i'm like yeah how has this not changed in 30 right. years yeah yeah it's uh you know when i go around to um, different clubs and speak at different clubs and stuff i'm noticing that you know a lot of the folks are getting it up there in the years for sure right so my fishing club the main one i belong to is the tidal potomac fly rotters and before covid you'd have 70 people at a bar drinking beer and tying flies mostly young professionals it was fantastic it was always changeover because dc new administrations come in 
grad schools, medical school, whatever. So people were coming and going, but it was it was like the only club of young people I've seen. Our club uh, here in Kernville is is um, called the Southern Sierra Fly Fishers, and uh, they're pretty active and they're pretty young, and uh, they fish, and so that's it's kind of refreshing. They're, they do a lot of stuff um, for the community and stuff like that. But it's it's uh, one of the younger clubs for sure, one of the bigger okay. clubs. As well. So there's a pretty good local fishing community there. Yeah. So our club, you know, we're we're kind of up in the mountains, so. Our club is spread out all over basically Southern California. So we have members all over the place, but they'll come up here to, to the meetings, you know, so they could be in Los Angeles. They could be in San Diego. They could be Bakersfield. They could be um, here in Kernville or in the Kern Valley where we're at. Um, but they'll come up and go fishing and then go to a club meeting, you know, when we have club meetings and that sort of thing, where we do a lot of tournaments, we do carp tournaments. We do, we hold the California Fly Fishing Open, which is a big tournament fundraiser that we do here. So it's a pretty active club. Pretty cool club. That's awesome. You have a cool logo. Ours is just the Capitol building. <laughs> I got a story. We do have a pretty cool logo. I got, you know, Child Unlimited basically sponsored me to come out to your area, man, to D.C. And kind of uh, lobby for the Kern River Rainbow and the Kern River and stuff. Um, this was probably... I want to say like maybe 10 years ago. And so I, I had never been to Washington, DC. These guys met me, they were in suits, the Trout Unlimited lobbyist dudes met me and they took me around and I talked to all the Congress folks and it was really cool. And then we went into the Capitol building, went underneath the Capitol building to like the- Subway tunnels. Yeah. There's all these weird tunnels down there to connect everything. Yeah. I grew up playing in those on weekends. And so we we uh, were eating lunch down there in the big cafeteria and everything. And then these guys broke out their, I hope I'm saying the Potomac River. Yeah. And they, they, they didn't have any hooks on them, you know. They were just like. Garflies. Yeah. And so they, they just had like a bunch of material on there, which I thought was really cool. But I was really interested in how, you know, they fish for them there and I, I guess is there smallmouth there too we've got everything it's like a box yeah. of chocolates yeah I mean, tilapia goldfish snakehead trout redfish some guys caught a sturgeon last year oh wow. i mean you just never know it's pretty yeah. wild you just always carry a big net yeah and i thought that was pretty cool that uh, that was right there but it was cool man I, I they gave me a day to like cruise around the city and capital and check everything out you know and it was pretty cool well next time you're here i'll put you on fish like with right by the monuments yeah yeah it's pretty okay. wild you can uh, catch fish a block from the white house there's no a way. pond yep okay yeah Where the sino canal used to go right through that where the potomac is now is actually further west than it used to be 300 years ago they moved it and there's old canals and, and ponds and stuff left over from back in that day. And there's old uh, buildings from the canal workers that are just these lone little buildings on intersections in D.C. In the middle okay. of dry land. And what are you guys catching in there? Uh, largemouth, smallmouth, striped bass, spotted bass. In the springtime, we get all the hickory shad, American shad. And then okay. gar come in, snakehead wake up. 
So it's all mixed in. We've got herring that you can just stick your hands in the river and pull them out. I mean, it's just ridiculous where you're swinging your fly and you just feel on your fly line from all the herring tails and bodies bumping it as it's drifting. And you just end up foul hooking fish after fish because they're that thick. But underneath them are the fish that are trying to eat them. So, but yeah, you can get white perch, yellow perch, common carp. Every kind of sunfish. We've got huge catfish. I've been catching them on bread flies. I've been chumming them up where kids feed the ducks. Nice. And catching just huge blues on every cast. Like it kind of got boring. Uh huh. Because they just slime up your line. Like I throw a handful of popcorn in, I throw in a, a yarn fly, and I'm on a fish. That's cool. And yeah, I'm right across from, I can see the Capitol, the Washington Monument. Yeah, everything in, in Northern Virginia is across the river from there. And then you can catch fish right at the airport, right where the planes land uh, next to the Pentagon. So it's all super close. You don't have to go very far. Yeah. And are you right there? Is that where you're at? Yeah, I'm five minutes outside the Beltway. So I'm on tributaries. I'm like on the the feeder creeks that feed into the Potomac. Theoretically, the snakeheads could get up here if they wanted to. I just Uh don't think they, they really desire Okay. So it's all warm water. We're in the tidal section. Then there's the Piedmont, which goes up from, you know, like Fairfax County to Loudoun. And then you get the mountains. And that's where you find the brook trout. They used to live down here in a couple of streams in the 70s, but no more. So about an hour's drive is is uh, trout fishing or char fishing, if you want to be technical. Okay. And just like us, yeah. our fish are tiny and colorful, like your goldens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. your golden trout are not what golden trout are in Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and other states. To me, those are palominos. Palominos. People say okay. they, they catch golden trout out here, which are the genetically modified, derpy-looking rainbows that are orange. Yeah, yeah. They yes. look like a creamsicle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about your fishery, because I don't think we've really had much at all about golden trout on here so they're unique to the sierras Mm -hmm. and tell us about the sierras like what's your elevation how far do you have to go to find them i just seen them in like pasture streams and and videos and well we have we we have uh uh two river systems we have the upper kern or the north fork of the kern river which is where my fly shop is and that flows from basically mount whitney south all the way to a lake called Lake Isabella. And then um, the South Fork of the Kern comes in on the east side, and then it comes into Lake Isabella as well. So there's there's two forks that come into Lake Isabella. And then below Lake Isabella, um, lower elevation is the lower Kern, and that is home to smallmouth and largemouth bass, trout, um, and other, other species as well. But the the upper stretches where we're at, we're roughly about uh, 3,000 feet where my shop is, but the river really? goes all the way, the river goes all the way up to, you know, 8,000 feet. So you can, it's a pretty steep river, a freestone river, um, un, undammed. Um, it's um, got lots of uh, stone flies, um, mayflies, caddis, that sort of thing in the North Fork that is uh, for the Kern River rainbows. And then on the South Fork of the Kern, that's where you're going to find the, the golden trout. 
and the golden trout are in the tributaries to the South Fork of the Kern and uh, in the main stem of the South Fork of the Kern. Back in the 1970s, the fish, the California Fish and Wildlife uh, mistakenly uh, stocked brown trout into the South Fork of the Kern. So the golden trout and the brown trout are competing um, with each other there. Um, brown trout are winning and uh, brown trout like to eat golden trout. <laughs> so you're, we're seeing that a lot. Um, uh, in the North Fork, the Kern River rainbows tend to get big. So um, you, you can catch them up to uh, 20 plus inches. Um, average fish, Kern River rainbows average from anywhere from eight to 14 inches. Um, but if you go up river and you get into some of the wilderness areas like the golden trout wilderness areas, you can find fish um, in the 18 to 20 inch range, which are a lot of fun. Uh, so, uh, the lower current below Lake Isabella, uh, my favorite is the smallmouth bass. I, I, I love trout, but I love smallmouth bass. I love the flies. I love the fish. Um, so I do a lot, a lot of guiding down there myself. Um, the guides that work for me, they tend to uh, take care of the trout area, um, the trout areas, and I kind of am the kind of the, the lower current guy with a specialty in bass, and I, which I enjoy quite a bit. Is there um, any sort of grand slam to try and catch all three in a day? The rainbow yeah, so, and the two goldens? So California is home to 10 native trout. It's more than any other state. It's a, it's a pretty cool thing that we have here in, in California. You know, the three I just mentioned, the, the golden trout, the little Kern golden trout, the Kern River rainbow are found in our area. If you catch six of the 10 native trout of California, the, the fish and wildlife here will give you uh, this, this artist named Joseph Tomarelli's prints of those fish. And it'll say your name, such and such has caught six of California's 10 native trout. But you can go around the state and all these different areas like the McLeod River Rainbow or the California Steelhead or the uh, cutthroat trout, the coastal cutthroat. So you have all these different species that you can go and target. And it's really popular. Um, people come from all over the place to try to do that. But here in my area, you can get them done in a couple of days. You can get three, three of them done in a couple of days, which is kind of cool. Okay. Well, one question I've always had with Goldens is it always looks like they've got permanent par marks on them. Par marks being the little like, oval purplish things you would see on a young trout for those that don't know. Is that just a permanent marking on them or do they lose that? Um, no, I, I've, the older fish I've seen, they all have par marks on them. Really? Uh, yeah. I, I haven't seen any with, uh, with them gone. Um, you know, some of the Kern River rainbows on their hand, I guess they're all kind of genetically kind of related, right? Kern River rainbows definitely don't have any par marks. Um, they'll have just a red stripe going down the side. Cool. Uh, but the little Kern golden trout and the golden trout all retain their par marks into adulthood for sure. Interesting. What yeah. about fly patterns? I'm guessing these are small mountain streams. So these fish don't get yeah. to eat much. It's like our Eastern brook trout. You throw it, they're going to eat it. Are yeah. there specific local patterns that you wouldn't find anywhere else other than that current area? Yeah. So the, the golden trout, uh, pretty op opportunistic. You know, you could, I've seen uh, on Golden Trout Creek in the Golden Trout Wilderness, pretty famous creek where they say are pure strain golden trout. You could throw a leaf in there and they'll, you know, come up and grab it, <laughs> which I've done 
Um, that was the last two podcasts ago. My yeah. friend Shane snorkels with steelhead in Idaho to count them. And he uh-huh. said they eat leaves. Like you need to be tying <laughs> leaf flies just in general. That was really, <laughs> that's two podcasts where we got to yeah. talk about leaf eating. Right. Um, yeah. Pretty opportunistic, you know, dry flies, basically, you know, stimulators, caddis, mayflies. I mean, there's not really anything that they won't um, go for. Curve of rainbows, on the other hand, much more selective. Um, so yeah, we'll have, you know, stonefly patterns that are designed for the kern for us and basically imitating the golden stones or the black stones um, that we'll use. Um, we've been getting really into uh, a lot of the attractor style patterns, um, real shiny pertagon type flies and stuff like that. Those have been working really well. Um, but yes, definitely they key in on specific hatches for sure on the, on the big kern. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you do not have lightning bugs out there? We don't. Uh-uh. That's so weird. I can't imagine a summer night without the sparkles. <laughs> I've got so those. we had no lightning bug patterns. Interesting. What are, are there any invasive bugs? Like we're starting to have to look out for lantern flies. I hear Pennsylvania is covered with them. I do have a connection to like the lantern fly expert, but due to federal uh-huh. regulations, she may not be able to come on because she'd be representing the entire government. I was like, we can alter your voice and no one will know. Uh, but anything that's like new that's shown up that you're matching, like before the Japanese beetle showed up, I don't know what beetle fly people used. No, uh, we, we haven't had anything. Because um... oh, you're California, you're strict. <laughs> they like stop your car at the border. You like throw out your oranges. Me. That's why. Yeah, uh, the, you know, the, the 20 years that I've been here, of course, it just depends on snow melt. Um, and that sort of thing. And it's pretty, pretty consistent hatches every year, the same, pretty much the same. Although there have been some, some years that we've had uh, ginormous crane fly hatches where some years we don't, or we have uh, a little black beetle that came into town and was here for one season. And that was it, you know? Um, that sounds like a, yeah. a plot or a story right there yeah beetle comes to town <laughs> one season in town leaves yeah so are there specific seasons like here we've got pretty distinct i don't know if you can see the golden light but we're having a stunning fall right now it just doesn't rain the potomac is super low i'm not really guiding for much because there's no water um winter is just sucks we don't really get much snow spring is awful and then we get beautiful flowers and then it's just 100 degrees and sweaty 
Yeah. You guys have distinct four seasons? Yeah, but we don't get very cold. You know, we get down maybe down to 32 at the at the coldest um, in the wintertime. But we're still we're still guiding like the guides are still working the river, um, the upper river and the lower river um, and Lake Isabella. So we got a pretty, pretty good season where we're, we're guiding, you know, all the time. So are you guys in, in flip flops most of the time. What's that? Do you have flip flop wearing guides like year round? Yes. Yeah. I mean, today's the, the, the coldest I've seen. It's like 40 degrees and, you know, we were at a hundred degrees a couple of weeks ago. So just all of a sudden, like this is the first day I've ever worn pants and a, and a jacket. Uh, really? For, it for sounds pretty fantastic. It is. It's awesome. Yeah. You know, it's just, we're just kind of at the mercy of water temperatures. We find that once the water temperatures go below 38 degrees here on the current, which on the upper current, things kind of shut down for the current rainbows and it gets really hard to catch them. They start pumping up to like 40 degrees, uh, 41, 42, things turn back on in the middle of the day. And once it goes below that 38 degree mark, man, it's pretty tough uh, for us anyways to, to stick fish. Is daylight savings going to screw you in fishing up this weekend? <laughs> yeah, it's. I don't know what it does for you guys. Do you guys do that? Oh, yeah, I'll be car camping on Saturday night up on the Salmon River of New York. So. Your rainbow trout that go to the ocean, they throw in the Great Lakes and then they swim up the rivers. Yeah. It's the closest I can get in a day's drive to something like crazy like that. Uh, I'll be sleeping one night in the truck. And then, um, yeah, it's going to be nice. By the time I get up in the morning, there should be frost melted off my windshield. And by the time the sun goes down in the afternoon, I'm going to be too tired to be fishing anyway. You guys, um, you guys, uh, does it get dark at five, like? For you guys that kind of a thing yeah we had our trunk or treat the other night and i looked at my watch like all right it's time to go home and it was seven o'clock yeah it got dark at 5 30 now oh yeah and then just tons of accidents with people hitting deer because then so the deer are out now and more people are driving it well it's not as much rush hour since covid but yeah there's there's corpses all over the roads right now the vultures are having a great time and you can also do urban hunting here so you'll be in a parking lot where you go to hike and someone will just be dragging out a, a corpse in a tarp. So hopefully the more bucks they shoot, the fewer are going to be on the roads. Right. You guys have a problem with that with too many deer? Yeah, they're, they're pretty much everywhere. Like they don't really do too much damage in my garden, but uh-huh. it's pretty hard to, to grow things around here. We've just taken up all their, all their land. Yeah. Deer here are pretty, pretty scarce. What about mountain lions? You got to worry about them. We have oh, mountain lions and yeah. uh, good weather. Mountain lions. Uh, I don't no, know. They, the mountain lions. I think you know they stopped. Uh, they stopped allowing hunting for mountain lions here in California, and so I think that has had an effect on the deer populations. From I would I just go fishing with someone smaller than me, <laughs> or can't run as fast. Well, yeah, easier prey. They always take the person in the back. So I always told my daughter that. So she, you walk in front of her and she gets all scared. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Are there any local techniques you guys have developed for fishing these waters? Any anything special that has been? I no, don't know. You know, we we do everything. We do uh, you know nymphing, all the different types of nymphing we do. We do 
uh, dry flies, dry droppers. We do streamers. Um, we do all we do all that stuff. Teach it as well. Um, but there's no special uh, technique that's just developed for the for the current. That's for okay. sure. It's just all all the different stuff that works. You know, everywhere really. Back to the weather. Are you on the the rain shadow side of the mountains, or are you on like a wetter side? Does it all fall before it gets to you? Um, so we are. So the, the Sierra Mountains are on the east side are basically a desert. You know, you like Las Vegas, think like Las Vegas, okay, all that kind of you know desert type. And then you hit the Sierra Mountains on the other side. It's pretty dry through the whole Sierra Mountain range. We get thunderstorms and stuff like that. We have the big trees, the giant sequoias and all that. Um, but no, we get we get dumped on and there's snow and um, but it's not uh, it's not super super wet. We're working. I would say we're kind of semi arid where we're at here. It's kind of dry, you know. But we have this beautiful oasis that kind of comes through town. And so you get okay. I looked on Google Maps. Are those like pop up shade tents? I just see squares all over the river. Like purple uh, squares, pink squares. It looks like people have pop-up tents, like you'd go to a, a kid's soccer game. Oh, yeah. So in the summertime, man, we have the section called the 20-mile section. Yeah. Just like gets packed, you know, with people swimming and inner tubing and camping. And that's it's called the 20-mile section, right? Okay. And then above that, it goes up 50 miles is considered the wild trout section. So I don't know if you can see there, but like all those. Oh yeah. That's like, Oh yeah. I know exactly where you're at there. Yeah. yeah it like looks very, it looks like chips was filmed at where you are. Very dry. Like, like all the California shows look like they're filmed out in that dry area. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> chips. Yeah. Like the trees are like green and dotted, like playing Zelda on Google maps. Wow, that is a lot of dryness where you are. And then the Green Valley. Yeah. Are you, so you're below Lake Isabella? We're above. Oh, so you don't have to worry about it flooding in like a dam and then an earthquake. Yeah, so they, they, I guess Isabella was considered one of the most dangerous dams. I think it's been about eight years now they've been working on the dam. So they, act, they actually had to like lower the... Um, the lake down to almost nothing and they now they've been working on it for 10 years and they've just they raised the dam up like 15 feet reconstructed everything new spillway monstrous huge dam now and so i think this year they'll be filling the lake back up with all the snow melt and everything is that one of those monster largemouth lakes yeah it is yeah it's uh I think the I think the uh, California record came out of there at one point. But sounds, yeah, I just read Monty Burke's book about sow belly. It's kind of uncomfortable to read. It's basically like these dudes are just snagging fish and uh-huh. they get into the docks and be like, no, this thing ate a 14 inch long wooden plug with nine hooks on it. I'm like r- sitting on its nest. Yeah. <laughs> and like the legality and the guys are okay with sitting there for 14 hours a day. Snag. I'm like, this book, and then it comes clear that like what they're doing is not cool. But yeah, some of those gal- pictures were gross, yeah. the size of largemouth. It's insane, yeah. There's a gal, that uh, local gal, uh, that fishes here. Um, and she fishes the Isabella quite regularly, but she uses conventional stuff. But she, she was on your podcast. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and she um, she uses these um, rats that are I don't know, fifteen inches long. They're just big rats, and she throws those up against the rocks. That's the size like, bass I'm catching. Yeah, and she catches these like they're ten pounds plus. Yeah. What? Yeah, it's kind of cool. And she has she has videos and stuff of her doing it. It's pretty neat. I've seen someone throw one of those rubber rats for musky on the lake down the street. Yeah. You can hear that thing splat from half a mile across the water. It's so big. Let's say someone's coming up from San Diego or coming down from San Francisco and they're hiring you for the day and they want to fish their own gear. What's the packing list for your fisheries? If they're going to do trout versus lower down warm water. Upper Kern, uh, it's going to be mostly a five weight, four or five weight and a nine foot, four or five weight. Some people are using the, those zero longer ones, you know, the 10 footers, 11 footers. Um, if you go fish uh, for golden trout, um, you're going to be using a two or three weight and which is super fun, which I love. If you're going to be fishing the lower Kern for bass, I usually have a, our bass in the lower current don't get very big. So I like to use a three weight for the small mouth and the large mouth down there, just um, stripping streamers. If I'm throwing poppers. I might use a, a five weight just to um, throw the bigger stuff, you know, to be able to, to turn those flies over. But most of the time I'm using smaller rods down there to three, four or fives. Um, Any need for a, a reel with a strong drag? No. Nope, don't need that. Um, nothing's nothing's pulling that hard, you know. Um, even the even the largemouth in Isabella or the carp, we have giant carp in Isabella. I mean, yeah, they're going to pull a little bit, but you can still get them in, you know, without needing a, a nice drag system. What about waders? Do you guys go in deep, or can you get away with those flip flops? <laughs> I wish, man, but no, you gotta. You got to have, uh, in, right now we just got back into waders and we'll be in waders until about uh, June. So good boots, um, waders uh, in the summertime, July, middle of June, July, till about uh, October, the middle of uh, uh, October, we're in, we're trunking it and we're just wearing uh, waiting, waiting boots, you know, with our, our shorts. And that sounds nice and comfortable. Pretty comfortable, yeah. Let's just wear and tear on gear, too. I mean, it gets, uh, you know, 100 degrees here, and the water temperatures are, you know, in the 60s in the summertime, you know, so you're just kind of just trunking it. And it gets colder, of course, you know, you, you, the farther you go upriver, but down here, in t excuse me, down here in town, it's definitely uh, trunk. You're just trunking it, for sure. Are your fish considered leader shy, or can you get away with just goat rope in it as George Daniel would say. Yeah, you can, you can get away with stuff. And, you know, a longer leader sometimes um, when the carnival rainbows are being pretty selective, um, yeah, the water's super clear, you know, but most of the time they're not there. You can, you can use pretty heavy stuff, you know, 4X and get away with that for sure. Do you have a lot of overhanging trees you got to worry about catching on your back cast, breaking things off? That's the problem with brook trout out here is that you're, you're in these little like jungly yeah. covered laurels and old yeah. wood forests and there's no room to cast. So the, 
the upper Kern and North Fork is um, there's trees and stuff, but it's pretty open. You can wade out into this river and and have a good time and not have to worry about trees. The South Fork of the Kern is like um, there's sections where it kind of sounds like what you're talking about, but there's also open meadows where it's like walking in a park. You know, we got this beautiful stream, you know, and you're you can cast. There's no trees, that sort of thing. Big hat then, right? In the summertime, like big shade. Yeah. Imagine that's going to suck the energy right out of you, a field in the 100 degrees. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You got to stay hydrated for sure. And it's dry. It's really dry here. Um, Lower Kern, definitely, you know, there's trees um, uh, all up and down the banks. And when we're floating it, you know, you got to watch out for the the, um, trees for sure. Wow. What are you floating with? So we're not, we can't use drift boats here. Um, so we have to use rafts just because it's um, so technical and there's so many rocks and kind of rapid type stuff. So you have to use pontoons, two person pontoons or single person pontoons going down the river. It's a huge rafting community here. So to kind of give you an idea, you know, it's considered one of the best rafting kayaking rivers in the world. So there's people that come from all over the place that try to tackle the four and the five class rapids here. So a lot of pocket water. That's what I think when I hear that. Well, yeah. So those guys are having a blast in, you know, May, June timeframe. We're usually not fishing uh, too much when the river's blowing out like that. We're fishing the small creeks and stuff um, that are coming into the, into the forks of the Kern. Um, It sounds like you've got a town where everyone's probably good looking and in really good shape. (laughs) <laughs> that's pretty funny yeah there's there's lots of uh, healthy people here put it that way for sure right on. <laughs> yeah. I, I was sitting in a parking lot in i think bozeman maybe like a safeway and i'm like what is going on here like <laughs> who are all these people <laughs> everyone just looked like an rei catalog it was 30 years ago <laughs> like, everyone's like in shape like like, look at the calves on that dude. And like, look at her biceps. And like, even the dogs were healthy looking. Yeah. And everyone tied up their dogs and went inside and came back. There was dogs and bikes tied up the same amount outside. It was wild. I'm like, definitely not Virginia. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I don't know if you know about all the rafting community, the rafters and stuff, you know, they're, they're kind of nomadic, you know, they go wherever the water is, you know? So like when the, we have really good, water here the town just gets uh, filled with all these rafting uh people guides um just kayakers world-class kayakers all these people come into into this little community you know and the good thing about it is we have this really amazing brewery here called the kerm river brewery everybody kind of go after their day on the water or hiking mountain biking or whatever it is they all end up at this brewery and there's usually music there and it's kind of fun. Kind of a that fun does place. sound fun. Again. Sounds like the opposite of here. <laughs> wow. And you guys have permits to go into protected lands also? So which which are those? And, and I'm sure it's loads of fun dealing with the government for commercial use authorizations out there. Yeah. So for me to be an outfitter here, you have to have a permit with uh, the Sequoia National Forest and also the Inyo National Forest, um, which are right next to each other. You have to have a special permit to go into the wilderness areas, of course. 
So I have, I've got all that stuff and have had them for like 20 years and they're not easy to get, you know, they only give out a certain amount. And so um, to have one, it's kind of a cool thing. You know, you can, you're able to work in those areas, but you definitely have to give them their cut, you know, for working in those areas for sure. Yeah. There's a lot of federal land around here, basically most of the Potomac shoreline. So there's a lot of fun I have to go through every spring. Mm-hmm. But I don't do trout fishing, so I don't have to deal with Shenandoah National Park and some of the other ones. What are you guiding mostly? Warm water. So in the springtime, it's the sh- the shad run, which is shad stripers, perch, whatever. And then when those taper off, it's more of target stripers, largemouth snakeheads. I would love to do sight casting a carp, but I don't think I've ever seen a carp that I could sight cast to in Northern Virginia my entire life. We have a lot of residential neighborhood ponds and just no carp in them. I, I don't get it. There are plenty of feeder streams. You just, I just never see them. We'll come across them on the Potomac tributaries, but they're, they already know we're coming. So we see all the mud once they leave. Uh-huh. They, and those things are, are monsters. Are they? Yeah. There's some, some huge donkeys in the water here. We have um, a really cool phenomenon that goes on here at Lake Isabella. And, um, you know, people are listening to this podcast and are, are carp enthusiasts. Um, we have a, a carp fly fishing tournament here called uh, Carp Fest. And when we have the big runoff on the, the river here, it starts filling up Lake Isabella. And Lake Isabella starts getting filled up and we have all these flats. And it's just beautiful flats that are about knee deep high. And all these carp, the common carps, will come in to these areas. And it is unbelievable. And we so we usually hold the tournament during that time when they're coming in on the flats. And it's just a hoot, man. So if you ever want to try that or come yeah. out and check it out. We have a similar thing when they spring flood and then they go up to spawn and they're going through like the flooded grass. And I just throw like a big rubber-legged copper john in front of them and they usually grab it like oh, one will, they're all following that female and then one sees something and veers off to eat it and then go to join and we pick them off but yeah if there's no floods i don't see carp yeah wild it's a fun it's a fun species for sure yeah so let's say someone's coming into your shop and they want to buy carp stuff or coming up from san diego and they want to go carp fish instead of what they're bringing with them let's go back to the gear what does someone need to buy if they're going carp fishing? And if you're going to sell a trout outfit to somebody like brands, like everything you cover, this is your episode. It's a commercial for your shop. So let's plug things. Yeah. Kern River Fly Shop. Yeah. If you guys wanted to come up and go uh, fishing for, did you, what, the question was, what would we use for carp? Is that- yeah. Like what's an outfit you're going to sell somebody for, for carp, rod, reel, line, and then do it for trout also. Oh, you're a shop owner. So instead of just suggesting what they bring, let's say someone doesn't have anything. What are you going to sell them? You know, the, uh, I like the new Sage R8. So I don't know if you guys, do you guys fish uh, Sage out there? I have my Sage rod is like 25 years old. Oh yeah. Yeah. Richie sells them down the street, but I don't have anything new. Yeah. I love those rods. Um, I would, if we're going carp fishing, probably a six weight, that would probably be perfect. Floating line, a real floating line, real gold, something like that. And then um, uh, 2X uh, leader and tippet for those guys. 
Um, I would do the, basically the same exact rod, just in a four weight or a five weight for the main stem of the river here uh, for trout and basically do the same exact same rod. Reels, I like uh, Galvin reels, uh, like hatch reels. I like uh, the Sage reels. Um, the Reddington reels are awesome as well. We've got all of those. You know, basically a 5X uh, leader attached to uh, 5X, four, four or 5X or 5X leaders and tippet for uh, the trout here. What other brands do you carry in the shop? Soft. Like soft goods, hard goods, knickknacks? Yeah. We carry uh, Sage, Reddington, um, Echo, St. Croix, um, as well as the reels that go along with those brands. Um, we're a Sims dealer as well. We sell Costa products. We sell mostly uh, solitude flies, but we have a lot of the flies that are custom made for um, for the river, basically uh, by custom tires. Uh, some friends of mine called the Bueller Brothers, and uh, they they tie for the shop and uh, have custom flies made for the river. I imagine like two conjoined twins sitting at a vice tying flies. These guys. They- uh, they started, they started working for me about uh, two years ago. They live and breathe trout fishing. I mean, nice. That's their, that's Have their, you gotten them on your, your show? Yeah, they're on my very first show. Okay. My podcast, uh, the Bueller Brothers. Um, they're, they're super fishy guys, super great guides. People love them. They, they, they're not guiding. They're on the water. Um, if they're not on the water, their time flies. <laughs> Do they fight with each other? No, they're they're dear friends. Okay. They constantly fish together, and they they actually live together in Kernville to, as well. So they're just super Very good, cool. super close, super good friends. Yeah, my brother's not too far. I just don't see him enough. His kids are super scheduled, so I don't always yeah. get to get to hang out. Yeah, me too. My brothers, my actual brothers, are all over the place, so I don't see them too often either. Right, kind of a bummer. And you guys have nifty looking hats as well. Oh yeah, see this one? All yeah. sweated, stained and wet. That's our logo, Kern River Fly Shop. And we have uh, that all online as well, kernriverflyshop.com. Got a fishing report on there. Uh, my, my podcast is uh, Guy Jean's podcast, which I want to have you on too, man. Absolutely. When did you decide to start a podcast? Like, what was the, the, the light bulb over your head? Like, I just need to get the message out about my fishery. Yeah, I mean, uh, we do like a, um, well, the, to answer your first question, I think it's probably been about a year and a half now. I like talking to people, you know, not not just about fly fishing, but everything. I love talking about music and other subjects as well. So I do a lot of that. I have a lot of, a lot of connections and a lot of friends that um, have interesting stories. And um, so I, I just, I like talking to them about, it. I've learned a lot on my podcast you know just talking to different people around the country um, like yourself and um, learning about their fisheries and what they're all about and stuff and it's been fun man i love it you know i love i love doing the podcasts and talking to all the different folks for sure um but i started it just because i i wanted to you know talk about all the different stuff and friends and um you know i've had uh fishing game guys on there one of one of the best podcasts I've had was a fishing game warden and him talking about all the different scenarios that he's gotten into and 
poachers and people, you know, taking fish that are not supposed to be taking fish and all that kind of stuff. So that's one of my best ones. And uh, uh, it's just fun. What about you? You bet you're the longest running podcast on iTunes and fly fishing. Yeah, it's it's come quite a ways. You, yeah, you say podcast now, people are like, oh, of course. <laughs> Even like four or five years ago, people are like, what? It wasn't until I think Serial came out, and then people were like, oh, podcast mainstream. Yeah, uh, that was the one about Adnan Syed, who was just released from prison. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that. Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. And then uh, the software's gotten easier. I used to have to code in XML. About two to 300 different lines had to be there. And then you had to scroll line to line to update time and, and length and megabytes and if you screwed up one line or one end tag in xml it wouldn't publish to itunes and then i would have to sit there and go through all of this code and now i just go to waypoint i'm just like doo, 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 doo. yeah on megaphone and it's all there it's like posting to instagram it is so easy now yeah. uh, but back in the day i mean you had to have specific sized images for itunes and all these things and uh, pretty simple it, now it's quite simple and it's fun. I got the big steelhead one coming up. The one the other day, I sent an email to somebody and he calls me back. And I just said, You want to turn this into a podcast right now? And that's how it happened. I didn't never knew the guy five minutes before that happened. And we did an hour plus podcast just on the whim. But I guess when you're doing it this long, I can kind of just pick it up and, and go. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty easy to talk to. Yeah, it's fun. It's um, it's a hobby, I guess. It's yeah. a lifestyle that I'm always thinking about a story I'm trying to tell, even before things happen. I'm already planning on how to tell my story of going steelhead fishing, and I'm not even packed in the car yet. Yeah. And also having an iPhone with the voice memo. Oh, my gosh. There's, there were times where I could have gotten some amazing recordings where I didn't have a handheld microphone back in the day some amazing people that I just ended up sitting next to somewhere that had a story. Like, oh, I finally had something to record it with. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's a lot more now. So listenership, it's a bit diluted. And the numbers are still a little bit fudgy when they switch things from wilderness to outdoors and iTunes. But it's still amazing that I can, people are listening to this all around the world. Yeah. It's wild. It's and then I just got an email from somebody about um, the two college kids down the street that couldn't go to school because of COVID. And he wanted to rehear their story about them going from state to state, catching the official state fish in all lower 48 one year. And they were living out of their mom's minivan. And I would just check in with them 
they That's weren't necessarily cool. fly fishing, but like they were sleeping under a bridge in the rain at two in the morning and like checking in. Just crazy. So what uh, what music do you listen to out there in the East? You Man, so music guy. Yeah, music's always been a huge, huge part of life. And now that I'm divorced, I can have music playing all the time. So I've got vinyl. Um, I'm a little pissed the Simon and Garfunkel vinyl I got the other day has Peter, Paul, and Mary in it. I'm like, I, don't, I mean, I grew up with Peter, Paul, and Mary, but I want to hear Simon and Garfunkel. Uh-huh. A lot of the dead, I switch back between late 60s, early 70s, Pigpen, and then mid to late 90s with Brett. A lot of jazz, and then just obscure singer-songwriter stuff. Mm-hmm. My girlfriend's like, I don't know who this is, and I, I just <laughs> I'll play stuff, and she's like, Yeah, I don't, I don't know this. And then she knows like every album from 1955 on that's rock, and like then blues, and she'll yeah. just pick up her guitar and like, All right, Stevie Ray Vaughan. I'm like, Oh, she's she's a guitar player. Cool. Yeah. So I, I listen to a little bit of everything, but a lot of talk radio during the day. So that's how I kind of got into podcasting was I was on a local radio station. I was like, well, my voice doesn't sound too bad. Maybe I can, instead of having to write about fishing, because it was so competitive, I wanted to write articles for magazines, but there's hundreds of dudes that wanted to do that. But in 2009, only three people had podcasts about fishing. So I said, I'll just do one of these. Mm-hmm. Nobody corrects my grammar on a podcast. Right. I don't have to worry about my Oxford comma. No editor. No editor. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I get an email from a guy in Pennsylvania. He's like, Hey man, music and sound is my background, my hobby. Why don't you send me your files and I'll clean them up for you. And that's how I got my producer, Jason. Nice. Yeah. Right on, man. Mm-hmm. It's been a fun ride so far. We'll see where it goes. There's a lot of big names that'll ghost you. They'll set up time and dates and then never email back or you make plans and yeah, I don't know if it's like the older generation, but it's a lot of, of the like 70-year-olds right now that, and then they'll pop up on someone else's podcast. I'm like, said you're going to be on mine. You ghosted me for three months and then you go on theirs. I'm like, oh, whatever. I'm, I'm fine with it. There's more other people with interesting stories I can always find. Absolutely. So much out there. Yeah, that's also the fun of doing this for so long. I have my travel logs, my interviews, where I interview someone like you. Uh, someone in person that I, I've known for years or just met might come to the house or I'll be in an event. And then special events I go to, fishing shows, stuff with healing waters. So there's like a mix of, it's not always me interviewing somebody. Try to mix it up. And then the intro music is a band called Gold Rush. They're from Oxford, UK. And they would be post shoegaze. I don't know if you're into shoegaze, but that's one of my. If there's a band called Ride, R I D E, from Oxford, I tell everyone to check them out. It's a lot of pedals and reverbs. It's called shoegaze because they're looking at their pedals the whole time and they're playing so many things. When I saw them the first time, I was expecting like cellos and violins, and uh-huh. it's just the way they put things on repeat and echo and. Yeah, they're touring London right now. I'll write that down. Cool. I hope they come back to DC. A shoegaze. That's that's a obscure how, how genre. You sound fine. I mean, how how long have they been around? Early nineties. So they they're like Britpop. Um, they came up with like Oasis. Andy Bell from Ride ended up being the Oasis bass player for years. 
Okay. So like Charlatans UK, Suede, Spoon, uh, Dandy Warhols, Blur, kind of like yeah. that music, but bass player is just insane. And the stuff they do with guitars, I'd never heard anywhere else. I saw them on MTV 120 minutes, like two in the morning in high school or in college. It was like, I need to find them. And there was no internet. So I eventually, I may have wrote it down on a piece of paper and had that in my wallet. And then years later, I went into a UCD store and found it. And then I got all their albums. I've all their digital and I've met them and taken pictures. My buddy, Andy, who's a guide in the Cotswolds actually knows them. Yeah, we were How driving. What's that? I'm, I'll be 46 soon. That's what I, gonna, I was going to guess. So you're like in the 90s pretty heavily there then. Yeah. Listen to a lot of 90s music. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's always something like, got a lot of Duke Ellington, Sam Cooke, Coltrane. Uh, I'm looking at my records. Simon and Garfunkel. My buddy Rob just got me Frampton Comes Alive on vinyl. He just wanted to hear it. He's like, you got a CD or a record player so uh-huh i got the record player in the divorce go me have you heard have you heard uh uh disturbs version of that simon and garfunkel bridge under- no um i think it's bridge underwater bridge over troubled water yeah or is that is that the song that's them yeah um i disturbed did a uh, killer version that's well, really I've- really yeah, check it out. Uh, Love Jason maybe play that as the outro. Oh, yeah. My podcast producer. He also could pick up a guitar and just be like, <laughs> I'm like, what? it's kind of like when, what I can do with like a vice or a fly rod is like what I say, like guitar people can do. Like I know hundreds of, pa- like I could just sit down and create a fly without having to, but I, I don't know how people like Bob Ware can remember every one of his songs and the lyrics after 50 years of playing with the dead. I don't understand how, like musicians, how they can remember and how to sing and play with the beat. It's like juggling and spinning plates on your fingers and toes. Yeah. yeah it's, but then like I can double haul and put a fly into, you know, like uh, a coffee cup. Right. So I don't know how you, you can do both. Yeah, I'm like I a one talent dude. I have played one of those uh, keyboards that you have, you know, the, the guitar. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a, uh, you know, mine's, it's longer, you know, so I'm almost like straight armed like this, but playing with, with both hands. Frankenstein. Kind of like this. But it's, you know, I front my band, so it makes it real fun for me to, so I can cruise around and uh, be able to move around and perform and sing at the same time with, uh, with a keyboard strapped around me. We just went to see King, King Gizzard, the Lizard Wizard, or King Gizzard, and I don't know, the Australian. The first time I've seen guitar players plugged in, like they actually had amp chords. <laughs> and like, I've not seen, I, I mentioned, I was like, when was the last time you saw amp chords on stage? Right. It was at a venue in DC. Where you could walk outside and catch 30 pound stripers right out the door. It's on the DC waterfront. So the tidal basin where the cherry trees are drains at outgoing tide and flushes the water out of the channel. And then all these big cats and blues just sit there and eat what gets sucked through. Everyone's there drinking. They don't have no idea there's world-class fishing right outside that venue. It's owned by Dave Grohl. Oh, it is? Yeah, it's called the Anthem. It is probably the greatest place in the country to see a live band. They also own 930 Club. 
which is another phenomenal place. That's in DC. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've yeah, live music's pretty big here. Not as many venues as there used to be, but I think there's like Capital One Arena now in the oh. Capital One Credit Card Building. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's always live music. We're always going out to see music. It's, it's always playing. I still have my iPod in my car playing yeah. stuff. We were listening to NXS Kick yesterday. Uh-huh. And then my daughter and I play, like, how did this musician die? She usually just says heroin. They're like Mama Cass, just like Sandwich, or Nick Drake fell asleep. We listen to a lot of Nick Drake. He fell asleep uh, you know, on antidepressants, may have taken too many. Jerry just had an enlarged heart, but heroin and smoking. So, yeah, we kind of played the 27 Club with my kid. So in, in 1984, I'm, I'm uh, like 10 years older than you. I was in first grade. <laughs> I, uh, I went to uh, the dead in Ventura and they used to, they used to love to play in Ventura um, at this place called Seaside Park. But it was so fun because the party out in the parking lot was like so fun, you know, like it was like, that was like, there's bands in, in the parking lots. And so you could cruise around in the parking lot and there'd be bands set up playing in the parking lot before you even go in and see the dead, you know, it's pretty cool. Do you remember what dates you went? Cause I'll look them up and listen to them on archive. Um, let's see. So I want to start doing the, the dead Canada tour right now is what I'm going to listen to probably. So 1984, 85. And I think 86 was their last show if I'm correct, because it, it was, people in Ventura were getting so bummed because all the deadheads were sleeping on the, on their front lawns. And, you know, it was, uh, you know, they would just invade Ventura, but it was super fun for all us locals that were there because it was just a big party. Right on. But, um, yeah. I think it was 84, 85 and 86. You could probably look those up when they were Okay. There. Yeah. Um, Rollin Schuster was on maybe earlier this year and he missed the Cornell 77 show by two nights, maybe. Huh. The, the most famous one. Uh-huh. Cool, man. Yeah. yeah. Good times. I was yeah. 18. Very cool. Yeah, I was in high school and when the dead used to come around and I was allowed to go. Let's do some some quick questions. Uh, these would be some random ones, sort of fishing and not fishing related. And then we'll okay. see where we go with the rest of the time because we got about 10 minutes left on the clock and my kid's going to walk in and probably yell at me for something I didn't do. Mm-hmm. I got yelled at this morning for her being late. Okay. I had nothing to do with that. Uh, when's it acceptable to take a grip and grin photo with a fly rod balanced on your shoulders? When is it appropriate? Yeah. Like people with the rod, they're holding their fish out. I personally, I've never understood that, but, um, I'm not sure why they do that. I don't, I don't, I I don't understand it, but I, have never gotten it. Maybe to show that they caught it with a fly rod or it's my pet peeve in fly fishing. Yeah. Okay. If you can, go on tour with any band in history on a specific tour and jam with them, what would it have been or will be? The Doors. Any specific year? You could have hung out. My mom used to follow The Doors. Well, uh, Ray Manzarek's my all-time favorite uh, keyboardist. So okay. um, he used to play the bass um, with his left hand and then he would do everything else with his right hand. So like the, the doors didn't have a bass player. He just, he would play the bass on this bass machine with a keyboard. 
That's wild. And, and so he was doing all that, just incredible keyboard player. And he, he uh, so yeah, it would, it would probably be the doors. <laughs> all right. I never got, my mom's stories were that Jim Morrison was always just really late. Yeah. That's all yeah. I ever got from he was late and high and always doing something, but yeah. he never knew what he was going to do. My mom lived in the West Village in New York with her roommate, Susan, in the late 60s. And they would just go see like Joplin, B.B. King, like whoever was playing like yeah. Hendrix. Yeah. And, and there, it was $64 a month rent. <laughs> back then. Yeah. All right. What's the worst place you've ever fished? Somewhere that someone's like, oh, I'm going. And you're going to be like. Yeah, to save your time and energy, don't go there. Mm, I've never been to any place bad. Anywhere you didn't catch any fish? Oh, sure. Okay. But that wasn't what it was about, you know, for me. It was just being with my friends or whatever. You know, we may have been steelhead fishing or we may have been this or that and not caught anything, but just being with them. Does does steelhead have to? Touch salt to be a steelhead. Am I fish? Am I steelhead fishing next week in New York, or am I fishing for for trout that well, go for not, a vacation in a lake? You're not talking to a hardcore steelhead guy okay. from Northern California, so you might get a different answer from from somebody up there. But uh, it's going to be think, seventy degrees. It's going to be seventy two degrees on Saturday when I get there. Yeah, we usually get at least one ten inch snowfall when we're up yeah. there steelhead fishing the first week in November. Yeah. 72. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's cool. I think it's cool that you guys have that those fisheries, you know, all those different fisheries going into the great lakes and stuff. And you have that. I think it's amazing. Yeah. You know, but to, to be a steelhead to touch salt. I, I don't Okay. I, uh, ask. What's your favorite side dish at Thanksgiving coming up this month? Oh man. Side dish. Uh, I, I'm a mashed potato freak so i like that all right like that if you had a superhero's power to make you a better angler whose powers would you choose it could be obscure i'm not a comic book guy so you could make something up and i wouldn't know uh to make me a better angler you said yeah like do you want to fly see you underwater know the weather uh outrun a train That's a good one, man. I don't know. Probably, probably Superman. So I could fly over to New Zealand if I wanted to, or fly over to fly wherever I wanted to, to, to go and fish. Yeah. I was looking on the map, seven hours to Pulaski drive one hour, 15 fly. Yeah. I had my plane or my wings. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite guitar <laughs> guy? What is your favorite set of keys to play? Roland. Yeah. Roland. I play Roland keyboards and, uh, um, I love this, the the keyboard that I that I have has every single sound you could ever imagine it B three organs to strings to electric pianos to um, grand pianos and it's pretty awesome. If I was to play a, a keyboard electric keyboard, it'd probably be like a, a Rhodes an old uh, '60s Rhodes uh, electric piano. Those I love the sounds of those. So you're one of those guys that if you're in the department store and there's a piano sitting there, like you could just get on it and knock it away. Yeah. I'm one of those kooks. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I got no musical talent. Uh, what's the best sandwich in the Kern Valley area where you are? Um, it's right next door. Um, it's called uh, McNally's um, and they have uh, it's not a sandwich, but it's a hamburger. 
and, and uh, they use prime rib meat and it's uh, right next door to my fly shop. In fact, I'm smelling it right now. That's criminal. I'm going to go over there and uh, grab this. Are you going to be into the World Cup starting in a couple of weeks? Probably not. Yeah, I, I, I'm one of those uh, sports guys that kind of, I'm not real into sports, but I'll watch the, you know, like around here, if the Dodgers are getting close to being in the World Series, I'll start watching the playoffs. And same with the, the Kings or any of the, the teams that are around our area, I'll get into them. But what about you? Are you into the World Cup? Oh, yeah. I actually painted my basement to look like a pub. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's got pictures hanging, trout prints, a bunch of tomillaries. Yeah, um, I got some scarves hanging up. Uh-huh. So yeah, I'm gonna have Guinness and and beans and toast and eggs and sausage on Black Friday for U.S. versus England. Well, see if I if I was there, I'd probably you know be there and hanging out and drinking with you and enjoying it. But I probably wouldn't know really what, which team was which. You know, right? The World Cup. Yeah. All right. Is there a, an angling book people should be reading that they haven't read yet? Uh, Small mouth on the fly. Um, I'm sorry. I don't remember the, the it, cover with the hand and there's an outline of a small mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely have a couple sticky notes in that book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like that book. What advice would you give to your younger self about fishing? Um, it's not about the numbers of fish. It's about the experience and enjoying your buddies and your friends and your family when you're out there and the environment that you're in. Right on. All right. In two minutes before we sign off, uh, a quick story that you had to be there to believe. Um, I saw Bigfoot. Did you get any an autograph? <laughs> I was on the cover of Bigfoot Times Magazine, man. Believe wow. it or not. Well, you do have kind of a squatchy facial thing going <laughs> yeah i do things getting pretty long yeah that's for sure. all right yeah. guy where can listeners find the podcast the fly shop fishing reports and purchase a, a sweet looking hat so everything is at kernriverflyshop.com you can also go to my podcast it, it's guy jeans podcast.com uh, but everything is all linked off of uh, kernriverflyshop.com um, if you want to listen to my music you can go to stoneflyesmusic.com uh, or you can go to my YouTube channel. Um, just look up my name, Guy Jeans Fly Fishing. You can see uh, videos from my band. You can see videos from the river, all that kind of stuff. Fantastic. All right, my man. I'm glad we got this done. I guess I'll see you on the other end of the mic. Yes. And uh, hopefully you come out here before I get out there. I'm not going anywhere anytime soon, except New York. Right on, man. All right. Thanks for having me on, bud. Yeah, this was super fun. Take care. I'll catch up with you. Okay. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com.